Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy weekend to you. Thanks for listening to The Ron Show, whether it be on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Uh, if you're listening to this Friday, Saturday, Sunday, well, happy weekend. If you're listening Monday morning on the replay, <laughs> good morning. Uh, so the latest in the saga that is Suits Atlanta. We have the uh, reporting from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Bill Rankin, all over this about 2.30 Friday. Bank records show that Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade purchased airline tickets in his and Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis' name. (laughs) Oh, you can't do aliases for airline tickets, though, can you? Not like the hotels. Uh, For trips to San Francisco and Miami, according to a court motion filed Friday. The filing was made on behalf of Nathan Wade's soon-to-be ex-wife, Joycelyn Wade, in her divorce case with Nathan in Cobb County Superior Court. The article continues, credit card statements in the filing appear to bolster allegations of a romantic relationship between Nathan Wade and Willis. The trips took place in 2022 and 2023. And as Bill Rankin points out, after Willis had hired Nathan Wade, a special prosecutor, in the probe of election subversion by Donald Trump and his allies. A spokesperson for Willis did not immediately respond to requests for comments. So let's parse this with what we learned yesterday in Fonnie Willis filing, which essentially sought a rebuke of her even needing to testify in this divorce case under the grounds that the reason the divorce is happening isn't because of Nathan Wade straying from the marriage with anyone, whether it be Fonnie Willis or anyone. The reason the divorce is taking place is because Miss Joycelyn is the one who strayed from the marriage. So, okay, we can talk about the salacious part because that is, listen, it's not, it's not, not salacious. I mean, there's no dismissing that doesn't look good. However, at the same time, the, Revelation would probably, how do I say this? I'm not saying it wouldn't merit scrutiny, but we're learning this because Joycelyn Wade and her attorneys wanted to make this known. And for what reason is the point? Do you see what I'm saying? Whatever relationship Nathan Wade, her estranged husband, and Fonnie Willis may have, it don't look like it's not nothing. You don't go to Miami and San Francisco together as contemporaries <laughs> on the job, right? I mean, there was nothing that sent them... Well, you know, maybe the Miami thing was to go do a little sleuthing around Mar-a-Lago. Oh, I can figure. It's the, hey, while we're down here, let's take a Royal Caribbean cruise together with your mom that is kind of cringeworthy. It's not a good look. And it's... In fact, if it were work-related, then Nathan Way wouldn't have been paying for it, right? Because... Surely the Fulton County District Attorney's Office has an expense account or reimburses her or she has a car or something along those lines. So, But the point I'm making is the reason this is even public is to somehow affect the Fulton County v. Donald John Trump court matter in the first place. And honestly, there's no relevance to Fonny needing to speak to the Wade divorce. Because, again, it wasn't Nathan with Fonny that strayed from the marriage. It was, according to Fonny Willis's filing yesterday, Joycelyn Wade 
who strayed from the marriage. Here's the thing, like everybody I talk to on the left is like, oh, if this is true, and we're all saying, if this is true, it's a bad look. Nobody is backing away from saying that. There's no defense if this is all true. And in this case, again, for no real reason relevant to the Trump investigation, honestly, or actually to the divorce proceedings, other than to be messy and to somehow subvert her husband and her husband's friend's job, that's just messy, is this stuff coming out. But it's coming out. Uh, Bill Rankin at the AJC telling us that Joyce and Wade's attorneys attached to the filing records from Nathan Wade's Capital One bank account. It showed that he purchased $817 tickets for himself and Fonnie Willis on April 25th of last spring to fly to San Francisco. Records show subsequent purchases at the Doubletree Hotel in Napa Valley. Okay, Doubletree, no big Napa Valley. That's kind of nice. There were also purchases of $477 plane tickets in both their names to Miami, October 5th of 2022. Ciara Bowman, who is believed to be Wade's mother, accompanied them, according to records. So here's where you're going to groan, though. <laughs> Accompanying purchases from Royal Caribbean Cruises. <laughs> totaled more than $2,600. The day after booking flights to Miami and the Royal Caribbean Cruise, Wade spent approximately $3,800 with Vacation Express, a company that offers vacation packages and tours. The tickets do not show whether Wade and Willis stayed in the same room. Bill Rankin doing a quality job here, resetting the table when he states, the relationship between Wade and Willis first emerged in filing by Ashley Merchant, who, by the way, is a well-respected attorney attorney for Trump defendant Michael Roman. She contended that the relationship was improper because Willis financially benefited from the vacations paid for by Wade. And the record seemed to show that he did. Who has been paid more than 654000 in legal fees for his work on the election interference case against former President Donald Trump and others. Joyce and Wade's attorneys had sought to take sworn testimony from Willis in a deposition on January 23rd. Yesterday, Willis, through her attorney, Sink Oxum, filed a motion seeking to quash the subpoena, saying Wade was trying to use the divorce case, quote, to harass and embarrass District Attorney Willis, and in doing so is obstructing and interfering with an ongoing criminal prosecution. And Bill Rankin is quick to state this. Obstruction is a criminal offense in Georgia. Can the drama be more heightened? If what Willis, through her attorney, is stating the truth and that the Nathan Wade, Joycelyn Wade divorce was precipitated by Joycelyn straying from the marriage, then it's true. There's like absolutely no reason why Fonnie Willis needs to weigh in on their divorce. If what she's saying is true, that Joycelyn is the one that strayed from the marriage, so Fonnie got nothing to do with that. And what she said was to harass and embarrass District Attorney Willis. Okay? It is embarrassing. If this is all true, it is. It should be embarrassing. If you lack self awareness, then you wouldn't be. This would otherwise be embarrassing. It's not a good look. It's uh, and listen, I get it. If you you come here to get your left wing perspective without the bad news or without the stuff that makes the left look less credible or missteps on our, then you you came to the wrong show. You came to the wrong podcast. You came to the wrong maybe not the wrong station, but the, the wrong time slot. Because this show is all about 
political discussion from a left of center point of view, but not necessarily with blinders on. Okay. And it's been more than a week since these allegations came to light. And what we've gotten so far is uh, a pulpit speech slash sermon at an African-American church and a, I think, fairly valid filing that basically says, um, I don't need to testify in a divorce case when any role I may or may not have had with either of these couples has uh, in this couple has nothing to do with the divorce when she's the one that's straight and not him. I get that. Totally valid. But, but there's been no answering to the parts that is sorry to the, to the Wade family and, and those affected by the divorce. The most important part to the rest of the country, the fact that according to Trump co-defendant Michael Roman's attorney, Ashley Merchant, this relationship between Nathan Wade and Fonnie Willis seems to be improper. It, it, very, much, it, it very much endangers an important case. And I know the Trump magas who may be listening, oh, it's not that important. No, it's a, election interference is it's it's a it's a bedrock principle of this country that adult American citizens have the right to vote and that their vote has the right to count just as anybody else's does. I mean, outside of the electoral college. <laughs> so no, this is an important case, and there's so much that's already been revealed that tell us there's more than just smoke that there's fire that needs to be put out. And I know those of you who are kind of keeping tabs on all the Trump cases, the fraud case in New York, the documents case in Miami, Jack Smith and his role in the insurrection and election interference in Washington, special prosecutor for the Department of Justice. If the Fonnie Willis case, the Fulton County case, comes apart because of this alleged impropriety, it doesn't derail the process elsewhere, but it severely damages the case here. Oh, and by the way, there's a bit of she said, she said, back to Bill Rankin's article. Willis Motion also said the Wade's marriage had been irretrievably broken because Joycelyn Wade had an adulterous relationship with a longtime friend of Nathan Wade's. In the response filed today, Joycelyn's lawyer said, uh-uh, said that Willis, quote, does in fact possess intimate information about the Wade's marriage, albeit false and libelous misinformation. I know you are, but what am I? Uh, the motion said Wade did not have an affair. Joycelyn Wade did not have an affair with that individual, nor did she meet with him in person. And you know what? <laughs> if Joycelyn and the other person were at least smart enough not to book airline tickets together or take a cruise together, then it's going to be hard to... Funny, you better have some... Now, now it's on you to provide the proof. Ugh. Next paragraph in Bill Rankin's piece, and this is one that you really need to... <clears throat> As regards to a possible obstruction charge, the motion said, Miss Willis implied threat to pursue charges against Joycelyn Wade and her counsel based on inconvenient facts from her personal life that are directly relevant to the ongoing divorce proceedings. Dot, dot, dot. And that it's an affront to the integrity of her office. Her lawyers, Wade's lawyers, said they want to depose Willis to get, quote, pertinent information from her husband's paramour regarding their relationship as well as his financial involvement that relationship, uh, in that relationship. 
Their response added, quote, These answers are relevant to the equitable division of the marital estate, dissipation of marital assets, and Nathan Wade's capacity to provide spousal support. End quote. <laughs> I just have to chuckle because I have to think that the poor judge that was seated for this case, oh, just a divorce case. Uh, no. Cobb County Superior Court Judge Henry Thompson's got a lot more on his hands now. He's got to uh, decide whether or not Fani sits for a deposition. Uh, he also has requests from um, Joycelyn Wade's attorney, uh, Ashley Merchant, and a lot in the news media, including the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Bill Rankin points out, to unseal the divorce file. Not your everyday average divorce case, <laughs> Judge Thompson, with apologies. Oh, my God. Georgia State University law professor, political scientist Anthony Michael Christ tweeting, I've been very cautious with the Fonnie Willis allegations, wanting to take them seriously, but not overinflate the value of assertions made without a production of evidence. But from what I'm seeing in terms of timing, travel, and expenses, I don't see much of anything, he says. He's a handsome guy, but I disagree. He continues, I see a minor political issue and an optics management problem. Okay, we're back to agreeing but nothing anywhere near approaching a legal concern. On the merits of the case, he's right. On the merits of the case. But if D.A. Willis is now put in the position of removing herself from the case and the special prosecutor, Nathan Wade, then what are we looking at? Uh, Christ continues, unless something else comes out, I'm going to be firmly in the skeptical camp, read the Michael Roman motion. I, okay, I will say this. Here's, here's where he and I do agree. In another tweet, he talked about how the uh, initial allegation painted the expenses paid as so lavish that it looked like a de facto kickback. I get it. A less than $500 airline ticket and a Royal Caribbean cruise. Funny Willis can afford that on her own, which is all the more reason she should have paid for it herself. Back after this. Welcome back to The Ron Show. <laughs> Happy weekend to you. Uh, so I was listening to the Politically Georgia podcast, which airs locally on WABE. One of our uh, local NPR affiliates. By the way, it, it is on on the podcast platforms, much as the Ron Show is. By the way, I thought it was pretty interesting that they had Asa Hutchinson on. Asa Hutchinson is one of those few principled conservative GOP presidential candidates, well, not to be anymore, but that took a hard line against former President Donald Trump. I, I said this a day or two before. One of the reasons why I think. Donald Trump succeeds is because there is no true alternative. There is no candidate, whether it be Nikki Haley, his former UN ambassador, or Chris Christie, who was one of his closest advisors until the very end, or Ron DeSantis, who Trump had his smudgy fingerprints all over to endorse, who basically became a de facto younger Floridian version of Donald Trump, whether it be Mike Pence, you name it, any anybody on the dais, Vivek Ramaswamy was, you know, was essentially humping his, his, his calf without Trump actually being there to let him hump his calf. Uh, it was just a dearth of alternative candidate. And so I, I'm not, I can't say that I'm surprised Asa Hutchinson didn't make it. He just dropped out this week. And by the way, somebody released this statement from the DNC on Asa Hutchinson's exit from the 2024 presidential primary. It reads, In response to Asa Hutchinson suspending his 2024 GOP primary campaign, DNC National Press Secretary Serafina Chitika released the following statement. This news comes as a shock to those of us who could have sworn he had already dropped out. Mm. I mean, that's funny. That's that's comedy gold. Uh, that's very Veep-like stuff. So anyway, Asa was, and Will Hurd, I think those are the two that were like, 
completely non-Trumpian alternatives for the GOP, and obviously neither one excited the base or got enough traction or anybody knew their names outside of their districts or states, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, to get behind them. They're not rock stars. And it's just funny, like in the era of where Democrats had to fall in love with Barack Obama to totally get enraptured by Barack Obama, and we weren't so in love with Hillary Clinton, and we're not so in love with Joe Biden. It's funny that the GOP has fallen in love with their candidates. Asa Hutchinson was asked, I believe by Patricia Murphy, by the way, uh, about one key thing when it comes to rallying behind Donald Trump and uh, cutting him a blank check, pardon, that was one of the litmus tests given by a lot in the party. Well, are you going to pardon him if he becomes the nominee? And Asa Hutchinson, a former federal prosecutor, had a pretty interesting answer to that this morning on Politically Georgia. You had also already called on President Trump to drop out of the race mm-hmm. after he was indicted um, for a number of things, but especially for his handling of those secret documents. And you're the only candidate by the end who had also refused to promise a pardon to President Trump. And as a former federal prosecutor, you said that just was not something you were going to do. Uh, particularly during a political campaign, you don't use pardons in order to uh, win votes. And it also undermines our justice system. Uh, you know, part. I heard Nikki Haley last night and talk about the use of the pardon, and, but she wanted the justice system to continue to work. Well, the challenge is if if you're a jury, if you're part of the system and you know a pardon's promised, then uh, that uh, undermines uh, the really system of accountability that we have. So, I felt strongly about that as somebody who's been a federal prosecutor. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then also what really uh, challenged me, and and, uh, I wanted to convey this message, that when it comes to character, uh, you don't have someone who's running for president that you want to support that says January 6th was a patriotic act. Mm -hmm. And that kind of misleading uh, conduct uh, message is really... Uh, poorly reflective on our democracy, but on the character uh, of Donald Trump, who's espousing that lie. A few minutes later, Tia Mitchell asked Asa Hutchinson this question. I wanted to ask, you decided not to endorse any of the other candidates remaining in the race. Why um, not endorse yet? And what could lead to perhaps a Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley earning your endorsement? Well, uh, First of all, I I do want an alternative to Donald Trump. Uh, I think uh, this is shaping up to be a battle in New Hampshire between Nikki Haley and Donald Trump, which is what everybody wanted for a long time, which is a one-on-one contest. And so I'm pulling for Nikki uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, I want to wait before I actually make any endorsement and – you know, Ron DeSantis has pulled back, concentrate on South Carolina. We'll see where this leads. And uh, I want to measure uh, my endorsement and make a decision uh, down the road. I will add just one thing. Yeah, that, listen to this. Uh, Nikki gave some such great answers last night on many different issues, but she's got to get this uh, <laughs> uh, question right about uh, has America ever been a racist uh, uh, country? Right. and. We all know I grew up in the South. I'm from Arkansas, uh, but we had the institution of slavery. You cannot uh, cover over that. You just have to say it, and we are. She's absolutely right on point that we are making progress, and, and we move beyond that, and we have a lot of goodness in our country. But you got to say the words 
Uh, it was a, a terrible, repressive institution, and uh, and and you got to acknowledge that not just that institution of, of during the Civil War, uh, but also the Jim Crow laws. Thank I you. mean, we had institutional biases in our country, and you can't hide from that. Truth is important, and so I hope that uh, all of our answers get better on that point. Governor Hutchinson. Spot on. Although I would add uh, redlining, blockbusting, voter disenfranchisement, hiring bias, housing bias. You have to continue this conversation because this didn't just end when signatures were put on a civil rights law in the 1960s either, sir. Also a footnote, if you're a black politician conservative and you have to endorse one of these three and you're Tim Scott from South Carolina, as is Nikki Haley, you don't choose Nikki Haley? What a game of Russian roulette you got to play to choose one of those three. Yeesh. Yeah, that news dropped today. More on show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, y'all, let's talk fun stuff. Economics. Oh, I know. Everybody groans. Even I do. And I work in residential real estate, so I have to kind of keep my eye on economics so I can decide, do I stay in this field or do I go get a side hustle or a main hustle and this becomes a side hustle? No, I follow this stuff a lot because a lot is riding on it. Well, for me personally and for the country, it is, after all, an election year and it's it's the economy stupid, right? We've been saying that as Democrats since 1992, it's the economy stupid. And so I mentioned a few days ago that the state's fiscal economist had uh, spoken to the joint session of the State House and State Senate and said that maybe the state might need to sort of brace for what he deemed a mild recession in 2024, at least for the state. Uh, In the politics, I'm sorry, the Politically Georgia column in today's AJC, however, they point out that UGA's Benjamin Ayers, dean of the school's Terry College of Business, reiterated that his forecast for an economic slowdown, but not a recession, when he spoke yesterday at the Savannah Chamber of Commerce Economic Outlook Luncheon. Ayers said he put recession odds at 1 in 3, reflecting a report released by UGA in December. The outlook is in contrast to the one expressed Tuesday by Georgia State University's Robert Bushman, the uh, state's uh, economic advisor, They both, uh, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, cited inflation, labor, unemployment, and interest rates in their forecast. Uh, Ayers from the UGA Terry College of Business, more bullish, he says, because of Georgia's pipeline of new economic development projects, nearly 800 announced in the last two years, and sustained population growth in, quote, prime working age individuals who will strengthen the state's labor force. The economy will slow, but not bust, he says. You can just hear the pain in this Fox anchor's voice, however, when she gives us the market data for the day. Fox News alert here as we take a look at the markets. And the U.S. stock market continues to hit record high after record high. Um, You're looking at a fresh uh, 300-point gain on the Dow right now, hitting its highs of the session. The S&P 500, which is a snapshot of the broader U.S. stock market, is hitting an all-time high, surpassing the previous record set two years ago. So, Mm. wow, there continues to be a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of optimism in the U.S. stock market. Uh, There's still anticipation the Federal Reserve will cut rates this year. And uh, to let you know 
how Fox Business is unbiased. Larry Kudlow is reporting that. It's up around 400 points. The Kudlow Trust is doing well. Techs and AI stocks are leading the way. Now, former President Trump has said the market is rallying because he's going to be reelected president. Well, of course. Others believe the market is rallying because Joe Biden is going to be defeated. Whoops, I, I think that's the same thing. Still, others believe the market is up because the Fed's going to slash interest rates and juice the economy to get Biden reelected. Wait, what? I personally don't buy into that. You would think Joe Biden would be crowing about a record market on his watch. Problem is, he hates rich people. He's <laughs> anti-business. He doesn't like the stock market at all. Hates corporate profits, and he's afraid to talk about it. <laughs> but as a matter of fact, Joe Biden just the other day said this. My predecessors like to say, America is a failing nation. In my face, bless me, Father, for his sin. I mean, come on. <laughs> a failing nation. And by the way, did you hear he wants to see the stock market crash? Right. We're doing well. He acknowledges by that we're doing pretty damn well economically and getting better. He wants to see the stock market crash. Well, okay, so let's go back to Larry Kudlow, who seems to opine that maybe the stock market's doing well because Trump is doing well, but Trump said he wants the stock market to crash. So, which is it, Larry? If he's afraid to talk about it, then I guess the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, didn't get the memo. Couple of things at the top. Uh, so today we uh, got more evidence that President Biden's economic plan is delivering results Shh. that more and more Americans are feeling. Stop talking about it. Consumer sentiments increased 13 percent this oh, month, hush. rising to the, its highest level in more than two years. She's still talking. In the last two months, sentiments has surged by 29 percent the biggest two-month jump in more than 30 years. Still it's clear Americans are starting to feel President Biden's strong economy. Wages have risen faster than inflation for 10 months in a row. Still the unemployment rate has remained below 4% for the Gosh. longest stretch in 50 years. Inflation has fallen by about two-thirds. We have more work to do, obviously, but we are on the right path. President Biden's agenda is a sharp contrast with congressional Republicans' plans to cut taxes for the wealthy and mm. big corporations mm. while raising health care and prescription drug costs for hardworking American families. And a few moments ago, I saw some of you have already been reporting this. The president signed the continued resolution passed by bipartisan majorities in the House and Senate that prevents a needless shutdown, maintains current funding levels, and includes no extreme policies. Instead of wasting more time on partisan appropriation bills that violate the budget agreement, two-thirds of them voted for last spring, House Republicans must finally do their jobs and work across the aisle to pass full-year funding bills that deliver for the American people and address urgent domestic and national security priorities by passing the president's supplemental request. Man, I tell you what, for uh, an administration that really needs to not be talking about how good the economy is doing because they hate it so much, boy, they just cannot shut up. Let's go to this report by Jeff Cox at CNBC. Headline, consumer sentiment surges while inflation outlook dips. This according to a University of Michigan survey. This uh, came out about six hours ago or so, if you were listening in the five o'clock hour, Friday afternoon. So I should just say it came out Friday morning. Yeah, let's just do that. Consumers have grown more confident about the direction of the economy and inflation at the onset of 2024. Cringe. 
on the Republican side, despite persistent worries about a looming slowdown, a survey released on Friday showed. You know why? You know why folks are not buying that anymore? Because conservatives and their economic pinhead pundits have been saying since January 2021, well, a recession's just around the corner. Well, a recession's just around the corner. Every six months, every three months, every time GDP numbers come out, well, that's nice, but recession's around the corner. And it starts to have an effect on consumer confidence, and that sticks with consumers for a while, but it's 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 literally like the little boy who cried wolf, right? There's just uh, the chicken little, the sky's falling. Nobody's buying it anymore, y'all. Nobody's buying it anymore. The University of Michigan Survey of Consumers, according to Jeff Cox, piece at CNBC.com, which will be in the show notes at ronchoytl.com showed a reading of 78.8 for January, its highest level since July 2021. Huh, 2021. Uh, And up 21.4% from a year ago. That followed a big jump in December and comes despite public opinion surveys showing concern about the nation's direction. On a two-month basis, sentiment showed its largest increase since 1991, according to Joan Hsu, the survey's director, saying, consumer views... We're supported by confidence that inflation has turned a corner and strengthening income expectations. Democrats and Republicans alike showed their most favorable readings on both sides of the aisle since the summer of 2021. Sentiment has now risen nearly 60% above the all-time low measured in June of 2022 and is likely to provide some positive momentum for the economy and the election. Along with the improved outlook on general conditions, the article says survey respondents displayed more confidence that inflation is coming down. The outlook for the inflation rate a year from now declined to 2.9%, down from 3.1% in December for the lowest reading since December of 2020. The Federal Reserve has boosted short-term interest rates to their highest level in more than 22 years, and inflation has followed suit lower though it remains above the central bank's 2% target. At the same time, the survey's index of current conditions also leaped higher, rising 83.3 or 21.6% higher than a year ago. Consumer sentiment has improved amid a drop in gasoline prices and solid stock market gains. The price at the pump for a gallon of regular gas is about 30 cents lower than it was a year ago, according to AAA, and the S&P 500 is near, nope, strike that, at a record high. Article continues, the survey is, quote, another sign that the economy is on track for a soft landing. Those are the words of Andrew Hunter, Deputy Chief Economist at Capital Economics. However, he noted that such surveys don't always feed through to consumer behavior. It's the economy, stupid. It's the economy, stupid. I'm going to tell you, I didn't like When the Biden campaign coined the phrase build back better, I thought, "Eh." I don't know. It just doesn't, it doesn't, it didn't sizzle. I I still don't know that it does, but that's been the mantra. And since the pandemic, this administration, without a whole lot of help from a Congress that is historically more do nothing than any Congress in American history. So who else? Is there to keep credit on? Really? Seriously, who else is there to keep credit on but the executive branch? I didn't really care much for 
coining the term Bidenomics, it felt a touch self-centered, like Trump tax cuts. I, I did. I just don't, I don't like that. I don't like. I don't like. And and we'll go back to when Obamacare became a phrase. President Obama didn't do that. The right did that because they wanted to. They wanted to hang that around him uh, like an albatross to, to 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 sink him. It didn't work. And of course, if I'm being fair, it's not like Joe Biden or the Biden administration or the Biden-Harris re-election campaign coined the term Bidenomics. This was another one crafted by the right, the Frank Luntzian-like pinheads on the right who like to coin terms and bumper sticker slogans that help push the narrative on their side. The not-so-silent, not-so-majority minority. So Bidenomics wasn't a term crafted within the White House. It's just one that they decided, okay, let's go ahead and embrace it. Let, let's embrace it. We see we see the tea leaves. We see what's coming. We see the economic indicators. And, and again, this is another one of those situations economically where there are... Politically, two ways to juice the economy, right? There's slow and steady wins the race. We saw that under the Obama administration. And, and, and I dare say that because it was slow and steady, it wasn't a big confetti cannon, that it almost goes unnoticed by the public at large. And 2016 campaign came around and the candidate rubber stamp by the incumbent administration just wasn't exciting. I get it. I wasn't excited by Hillary Clinton, but she was going to stay the course economically. She didn't come in with anything uh, earth shattering, anything different economically. Her primary combatant, Bernie Sanders, was the one pressing, mashing the economic button. Hey, 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 people aren't as excited about the status quo as you think they are. Mash, mash, mash. Got to do something more. Average working class, blah, 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 you know, push, push, push. Slow and steady has been the mantra of the left since the Obama administration. On the right, they like what I call the, the, the bump, the quick bump, the, the quick hit, the shot of Red Bull or the, the snort of blow, you know what I mean? The quick crank. Yeah, I need, need a hit. Can I get a hit? Can I get a bump? Tax cuts. Just to give a nice little boop, nice little jolt to the economy. Tax cuts. Woof. Yeah, we all feel better with a little bit more in our pocket. I mean, we, we, we saw during the pandemic what kept the economy afloat was stimulus. Not really a tax cut, but kind of under the same guise, right? And the Trump tax cuts were a little, little bump, little, little Don Jr., and it, it gave the economy a little jolt. And then things settled right back down. So much so that Fortune magazine <laughs> put out a comparison of Obama's last three years economically versus Trump's first three years economically. And despite all the rhetoric from Donald Trump, best economy ever, blah, blah, blah. The Obama, uh, the Obama economy in the last three years by like almost every metric was still better than Donald Trump's first three years. And this is not counting for the pandemic. Yeah, you never hear people say that. I'll put that Forbes article in the show notes at ronshowatl.com. Slow and steady. Better economically. More stable. 
Tax cuts? Yeah, I mean, it's a nice little quick jolt. Yeah, you feel good for a minute. A little shot of Red Bull. Ah, I'm awake. And then you're not. But much like immigration, which I've talked about a lot this week, there are efforts being done quietly and covertly and behind the scenes, and maybe shouldn't be so covertly, and maybe they should talk more about it publicly, their policy to a deal root causation of the migration from Central and South America. What what a concept. Let's figure out why people are coming from their native countries and maybe fix that so they don't. That's better than just slapping a wall up and pretending that there aren't any problems south of the border. Why are they coming here? We just got to stop them. And we're kind of quietly just doing more of that same quiet, steady economic stuff that seems to be working as opposed to the... (laughs) Quick snort, Don Jr. The numbers seem to be bearing out what's working, though. And that's not good for GOP chances in 2024. Sorry for them. Back after this, the Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show, final segment for the day and for the weekend. So, the article I was reading from earlier. Uh, authored by Bill Rankin, some additional notes from Charles Minshew in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, going back to the Fonnie Willis and the Nathan Wade bank records and all the things that it seems to show that Nathan Wade spent on behalf of he and Fonnie Willis. And and this is the thing. It's First of all, it's not like work on this case is the only source of income he's had, so it's really hard to say uh, uh, when you've got money in a pot or in a bank account that the money he spent came directly from the job that he did for that. It's, but it's, it's a bad look. It is. It's a bad look. Uh, there was, uh, an additional quote added. And I think Minshew was the one that chased this one down from Clark Cunningham, who is a law professor at Georgia state university, along with Anthony Michael Christ, who is the political scientist and Georgia state law professor that I quoted earlier. Anyway, Clark Cunningham said the disclosure of Nathan Wade's bank records appear to substantiate, cringe, at least in part, the allegations in Roman's motion. He said, Willis may want to consider taking a leave from the DA's office, allowing one of her chief deputies to assume control over the election interference prosecution. That chief deputy could determine whether to continue the contract with Nathan Wade. Cunningham said such a decision could address a growing problem of public confidence and help avoid possible disruption if the motion to disqualify was granted. Noted legal scholar, radio host Eric Erickson, tweeting earlier today, Fulton DA Fonnie Willis has responded to the man she testified in her alleged boyfriend's adultery case. She doesn't deny adultery. Why is it a boyfriend, by the way? She doesn't deny adultery, he tweets. Adultery is a crime in Georgia, he puts in parentheses. Instead, she claims she's being oppressed. Okay, so I'm not going to lie. I I didn't care much for the whole, like, oppressed uh, gambit that she she gave last week from the pulpit either. I didn't didn't care for that. Uh, And I I didn't like that the New York Times, and I'm sure she didn't maneuver that, uh, released... You know, some email exchanges where she and one of her deputies is going back and forth with Steve Sadow, Trump's attorney, and talking about, I I don't like the tone, the disrespect, is this racism? Eh, I don't like that. I like the Michelle Obama tactic. When they go low, you go high. They go low, you go high. Um, 
But I, I have to point out to Eric Erickson that um, <laughs> adultery being being a crime in Georgia would would be a really bad thing if both parties in this scenario were married. Yeah, see, uh, in, under Georgia, Anthony Michael Kreis, go back to him here on a tweet, under Georgia law, both parties had to be married in order to secure a conviction for adultery, so this wouldn't be a crime even if it were enforceable under the Georgia Constitution's right to privacy, which it isn't after Powell v. State. Also, Eric Erickson, have you talked to Marjorie Taylor Greene about adultery? No? Okay. Man, trust me when I tell you, Again, I know I know a lot of you come here because you want to hear the the good the good side of things from a left of center point of view. And man, I, I I do I usually you know I try to give it that, and I try to give some clarity and some focus to some policy differences that I think are worth pointing out when we are and history shows we are on the right side of a discussion. And, and I'm not even quibbling with the facts in the case in the Fulton County uh, v. Donald Trump. I, I mean that. There's a lot there. There's a lot of meat for that on that bone. There's a lot of meat, right? So it's it's just all the more disappointing if any of this is true. If all of this is true, some of it, any of it is true. That someone as bright and as educated and as professionally driven and accomplished, accomplished as Fonnie Willis is, with another attorney. Do you know how long you have to go to school to be an attorney? You've got to be smart to be an attorney. So how are two really smart people, allegedly, doing this sort of stuff, taking trips, Royal Caribbean cruises, without thinking for a second, hmm, how do you think this is going to look? Should we maybe, we should maybe table this. Or at the very, at the very least, no, you can't pay for that. No, 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 no. Get, get a refund. Uh, get your money back. I'll pay for my own. If you get seen on the Royal Caribbean cruise together, I mean, this happened last, what, April? The cruise was in April, right? We haven't heard about this cruise. It's nine months later. Nobody knew you were on a cruise together. And even if the bank record showed that you went on a cruise Nathan Wade, and you took your mama. Oh, that's sweet. That's all anybody knows. They don't know Fonnie was on the boat because nobody's able to subpoena Fonnie Willis's bank records. How could you, sir, be so unwise? Fonnie, how could you let him? How could you together be in this situation? Two very smart individuals. But again, I'm seven and a half seasons through Suits, and I've seen some pretty smart Attorneys played by actors <laughs> do some really dumb things too. So I guess it's just, it's all verboten, right? What do I have? Uh, a minute left. Did I mention this already? It looks like the Atlanta Falcons are going to do this second interview thing with Bill Belichick. And I think the things are sort of falling into place here. Like uh, there's a lot of talk that, uh, you know, a lot of Falcon fans really want to go after Justin Fields. I feel like, you know, he didn't get to play for the Georgia Bulldogs. We really want to see him in red and black and succeeding here at the state level. And he's from Georgia and he'd like to come home and maybe the Bears will trade him and maybe the Falcons will give a boatload of draft picks to do it. And maybe there's something to that because the quarterback coach from the University of Southern California, a fellow by the name of Cliff Kingsbury, who used to be a head coach at the Arizona Cardinals, uh, has been interviewing for a coaching role with the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears have the first pick in the draft. And 
the consensus first pick in the draft is probably going to be the quarterback from the University of Southern California, Caleb Williams. Oh, doesn't that make sense? But they have Justin Fields, so they don't need Justin Fields if they go get Caleb Williams, which means they trade him. Maybe he comes to Atlanta, an established veteran quarterback, which Bel- Belichick would sorely need to succeed right away if he became the or any coach. But Bill Belichick in particular would probably succeed most with that veteran quarterback in the roster. But uh, I'm seeing it happening, y'all. I'm not thrilled about it, honestly. I don't like Bill Belichick. Try to love him if he got a Super Bowl <laughs> into our clutches. That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Have a great weekend. Back here Monday, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Show notes at ronshowatl.com.